Alright, good evening, church. Oh, I know you're not used to me, but we gotta try that one more time. I said, good evening, church. Oh, there they are. You know, I I know you love my welcoming slide, but that was really just to remind me not to say good morning. Um, but it's really great to be with you guys. Again, my name is Sam Newman, and, uh, you met my beautiful, gorgeous wife, Sylvia, who's up here earlier. And, uh, last year, we were here about a year ago. And uh, we were engaged, and like Sylvia said, it happened. We did it, got married, we got married. And um, it's almost been a year, and that is my beautiful bride, my queen. Uh, in case you were wondering, I did ugly cry. Um, we can't find the footage, so we're looking for that, but um, it happened. But I'm excited to be here with you guys today. And, uh, you know, Jake and Scott told me you guys are doing a series on Hebrews 11. And you're going through these amazing people in the Hall of Faith. And I, I don't know about you, but when I read that chapter in Hebrews 11, and it talks and it lists some of the men and women in there, insecurity rises up in me. I get a little scared. Like, my faith has to match theirs. The situations they've been through, the things they've been... I, Is that possible? And I can freak out a little bit and think, if that's the standard, that seems a little too hard to match. But there's one name in there that doesn't make me feel that way, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to talk about him today, and that's Samson. And now after going through the story of Samson various times, I realize there are a lot of different lessons and principles you can get through the story and the life of Samson. But the title of my lesson today is It's Not Too Late. And my hope for today is that surveying different parts of Samson's life, we can learn from his mistakes. And we can hold to the vows we made before God. And if we are in circumstances that have caused us to drift from those vows, then we can realize there's no better time than right now to be realigned with God and His purpose for us. I'm going to go ahead and say another word of prayer, and then we'll jump into our time here this morning. You guys with me? God, it's so great to be here. And God, I just want to praise and lift up your name for innovation in human hearts to create air conditioning. And God, it is just so good to be in this room with AC and uh, worshiping you with my family. God, I pray you're with us here today as we dive into your scriptures and and look at the life of Samson, that we can relate and, and learn and really be able to see how important it is to guard our hearts and be aligned with you and realize it's never too late to connect with you. God, we love you. And it's your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So just a little bit about Samson. Samson's parents were actually unable to bear a child. And so one day while Samson's mom is working, an angel of the Lord comes to her and says, Hey, you're going to get pregnant. And you're going to have a son, and your son is to live the life of a Nazarite. And eventually be the one who leads the Israelites out of the oppression of the Philistines. So Samson was born under the conditions of keeping the vow of a Nazarite. Now, you can read the complete details and direction of what that commitment of of the Nazarite was in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 6. But the word Nazarite literally means to be set apart. Right? The purpose of the Nazarite vow was to show one's desire to be intimately connected and close to God. So So the reason God sent this angel 
to Samson's mom was so that they can instruct their son to grow up in this way and eventually give the Israelites a leader that showed them by example what it looked like to be set apart and close to God in the middle of oppression. Now here's some little details about what it was to be a Nazarite, what it meant to be a Nazarite. You know, the first thing, they were forbidden to eat any fruit from the vine. Okay, and this, this was a, a, a illustration, this was to show one's commitment that not even the most desirable things on this earth were worth more than a connection with God. Amen. The second one is no haircuts. So your hair would just get nappy and braided and dreaded and just nasty, but no haircuts. And this was a very public display of one's commitment to God. This is how people knew they were in Nazarite, because their hair would get really long and really jacked up. <laughs> the last one is the Nazarite must stay away from any death of any sorts, even the death of a close loved one. And the purpose of this, the importance of this, was to remove the Nazarite, the one trying to be close to God and set apart from the very consequence of sin, which is death. You know, when you learn more about the vow of a Nazarite, it was actually pretty common during this time. Like a lot of people would make this vow, but they'd make it for a time period. It wasn't forever, it was a limited time, and that's what made Samson so different, was for him, the very purpose of his life was to hold to the vow of a Nazarite. In Judges 13, verse 7, it says, But he said to me, You'll become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. And because Samson's life had this, this purpose, this incredible purpose, God's Spirit blessed Samson with this incredibly mind-blowing strength. Now before we move on, I've got to clear something up about Samson real quick. All my life, growing up in the church and different movies and pictures, Samson has been illustrated to me like this. Just yacked out of his mind. <laughs> His muscles have muscles. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and like anybody would, I would want that kind of guy to lead me out of oppression, wouldn't you? Like, that's who I would want to be leading the crowd, leading the charge. But when you read the story of Samson, people couldn't figure out why he was so strong. Now, it might just be me, but I look at Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and I don't really wonder why he's so strong. Like, it doesn't take long to figure that one out. You know what I'm saying? So, I really don't think Samson looked like this. Because then people would be que- wouldn't have to question why he's so strong. So, in my opinion, in my view, what I really think Samson looked like was a little bit more like this. That's me in high school. Right? I was holding the valve of a Nazarite, no cut in the hair. Skinny, scrawny, wild out of control, but I would pay money to figure out how this guy is strong, how this guy killed a lion with his bare hands, tied up 300 foxes and killed thousands of Philistines. I'd pay big money to figure that one out. So I just had to clear the air about that and it's probably more what Samson looked like. We're going to pick up in Judges 14 with Samson's story. 
And we come to a part where Samson is taking a little stroll through Timnah and he sees this Philistine woman. And this is basically how it goes. He sees this woman and goes, I like her and I want her. So he goes to mom and dad, says, mom and dad, I like her and I want her. And Samson's parents are like, okay, well, could you like, like someone else, please? Cause like, like preferably not one of the false god worshiping oppressors in our time, like anybody else. Besides that Philistine woman. And Samson goes, no, I want her, make her my wife. We pick up in verse 5. It says, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands like he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her. Sometime later, when he came back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in, in it, he saw a swarm of bees and honey. He scooped up the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they ate it too. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's Carcass. You know, I look at Samson and a bunch of questions come to my mind about the character of Samson in this situation. Like, Samson, aren't you supposed to stay away from the fruit of the vine, from eating it or drinking it? Then why are you walking through a vineyard? Or Samson, aren't you supposed to stay away from anything dead? Then why out of all places would you get honey from a dead lion? And Samson, aren't you supposed to be leading the Israelites out of the oppression of the Philistines? Then why are you marrying one? And you know, I look at Samson, I think his life motto up to this point was, if it feels good, it must be good. And so for Samson, it didn't matter what he wanted or how he was going to get it. He got what he wanted when he wanted it. And it sent him down this life of complete and utter selfishness. And the reason his parents were trying to get him to choose someone else to marry is God specifically told the Israelites, don't marry your children off to these people because they will turn them away from God. But Samson didn't care. He wanted what he wanted, and he got it. You know, I remember when the iPhone started doing regular upgrades, right? It, was almost, it started to become every year a new iPhone came out. And that, that made me so excited, not because I was going to get one, because I knew my dad had no need for his old one. So I was going to get a new old iPhone. And I thought it was amazing. Now, people warned me. They're like, hey, Sam, that's basically a computer in your hand. And there are dangers to that and what you can view and what you can see and the places you can go. You got to be careful. And in my mind, I went, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple. I'm a Nazarite. I can fight off the temptation of a silly little cell phone. See, at the time, my view of sin, it was a set of rules and what not to do that would cause me to fail at Christianity should I do them. And it wasn't, I didn't view sin as things that would strip me away from my connection with God, strip me from my relationship with Him. And so my mindset was, what can I do in my life how far can I go? How can I do whatever I want without sinning, without failing Christianity? 
but still bring me pleasure and personal gain. And so with this iPhone in particular, it, it might seem silly, but it's so memorable, memorable in my life because what started as arrogantly wanting to do whatever I wanted to do turned into the most spiritually sickening thing I've ever experienced in my life. Before I knew it, I was knee-deep in an addiction to impurity. And my life had totally lost the focus on God and the mission he had set out before me. And it became all about me. See, the way this sin worked, this hidden sin, is it was so selfish, so self-focused, that it not only permeated the quiet moments in my life, but it affected everything. And so I didn't really care about anybody else. I only did things that brought me gain, brought me joy. And I still went to church because that's how I viewed Christianity, is it's just a Sunday attendance. So I got to keep my image up. But inwardly, I knew my heart had drifted far from God. And to my shame, I called myself a Christian through this addiction. And you know, before I move on there, it's, it's because the glory of God that I can stand before you today and the people that he's put in my life that I haven't indulged in the very sin that stripped me away from God in more than five years. But it started with me walking... It started with me walking like Samson. Walking a dangerous line amongst the very things that want to strip me away from God. In Proverbs 23, verse 4, we all know this one. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. You know, I think as Christians, this concept, this idea, we've all heard it. But I think it's so easy to take this lightly. The scriptures tell us throughout the entire Bible that your heart, your spirit, the most inner of your being is what matters most to God. More than your physical features, more than your outfits, more than your financial position or what you own or your worldly achievements. God cares about the state of your heart. And to be quite frank with you guys, this can be an aspect of our life that is the least focused on the least guarded, and the least considered. You know, I was watching this episode of Grey's Anatomy. Sylvia watches it, and I kind of like poke in every once in a while when it gets really interesting. I don't like the drama. I just like the medical scenarios. Those are pretty cool. But there was this episode where this baby was, had a birth defect, and the birth defect was called ectopia cordis. And in Greek translation, it literally means out of place. But this birth defect entails that babies are born with their hearts in a place that they're not supposed to be. And the most common form of it is their heart is born externally on their chest. And so I'm watching this episode of Grey's Anatomy. And now I'm, I'm a wimp when it comes to anything blood or like anything nasty like that. So even like a cut on my hand, I'm like very cautious of what I touch and like what I'm around. So imagine I was sitting there picturing if there was a heart on me externally, walking around like that in my life. I would be thinking about who was around me at all times in the day, what the air quality was like, who was sneezing at least within a five-foot radius of me. I mean, all my thought and attention would be going toward this external organ on my chest. Let me ask you a question, church. Do you live your life like this right now? 
Do you live your life like you're guarding your heart with that awareness, that protectiveness, and that care about what's let into your heart? Seeing it as the, it is the most important thing to God, because the way he created you is that based on where your heart's at and how your heart's doing, that dictates how you live your life. And if we aren't protecting it, and if we're like Samson and we walk amongst the very things that can ruin our heart, we're in serious danger. See, when you view sin as a bunch of rules that you can't break in order to be a Christian, you look at the story of Samson and you go, well, technically it doesn't say he ate or drank in the vineyard, so he's good. Or, or maybe when he went to go get the honey from the lion, he perfectly maneuvered his hand and didn't even touch the lion. He only got the honey. Ever think about that? Oh, he got married. That's God's way. But when you view sin as the very things that separate and strip your relationship from God, you look at the story of Samson and go, why would he ever put his heart in those situations? Why would he ever allow the most valuable thing to God end up in those places? You know, we're going to pick back up in Samson's story in chapter 16. And this chapter starts off by telling us that Samson just saw a prostitute and decided to sleep with her. So if that doesn't tell you how jacked up Samson is at this point, I don't know what will. But we read on and Samson falls in love with this Philistine woman named Delilah. Now, at this point, Samson was a hot commodity amongst the Philistines. Everybody wanted to kill him, but nobody knew how. They were so frustrated with all the things he had been doing, the disruption he had been causing. And so here's Samson, head over heels with this woman, this Philistine woman, and she's in love too, but just not with him, with money. And so some of these Philistine rulers, they bribed Delilah with tons of money in order for her to figure out what the secret to Samson's strength was. And you read in chapter 16, she asked Samson three different times what the secret to his strength was. And each of those times, he just made something up. But here's the crazy part. is Each time on the day she asked him about it, and he made something up, it just so happened that that night there were some Philistines trying to kill him using that same exact made-up method. Like, you'd think he'd make the connection. I, oh, wow, like the lie. I just told Delilah, these idiots tried it over here, too. You'd think he'd put it together, but he was blind in his sin. So Delilah tries a fourth time, and she's still super deceiving and manipulative about it, and very dramatic. In verse 15, verse 15 of chapter 16 it says, then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. Which with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, Come back once more, he has told me everything. 
So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. You look here, and Samson was so blinded by his sin, he didn't even realize that the very thing he was next to would be the end of him. You look at this, and the strongest man, arguably, to ever walk the earth fell due to the manipulation of a woman. I think that's like another sermon or something like that, but the strongest man in the world fell to that. And the scriptures say that Samson woke up that morning tied up thinking, I'll get out of it like I always do. Until he realized that the Lord's strength had left him. You notice that Samson's hair was the last vow of the Nazarite that he had kept. And at this point, it had been broken. But until then, it was the only way people would have known he was a Nazarite. So although he had broken the rest of the vows and his connection to God, this one helped him keep the image of a Nazarite. And here we witness the perfect illustration and power sin can have in our lives. It starts with just walking the line of temptation, seeing how far we can go without going all the way. And soon that walk and that line of temptation becomes an intimate relationship with the very power that strips you away from God. It's a blinding power. It makes us think we could just get up and get out of it like we always do until one day we can't. And we're left with only the appearance of a Christian. You know, I don't know where everybody at is at here today with God. And maybe you're in the depths of this process, or maybe you're in the beginning stages, or maybe you're sitting here thinking, that'll never happen to me. But regardless of where you're at, you've got to be able to recognize your Samsonite, your kryptonite. You see what I did there? Superman reference yes. is my wife's idea. You like it. It was all her. <laughs> but your weakness. Your tool, your downfall, the very thing Satan is using or wants to use you to strip you away from God. If it's alcohol, and that's a struggle for you to numb out and not deal, why do you have bottles in your house? If it's pornography and impurity, why do you have unrestricted access to TV, movies, and the internet? If it's flirting with the world and wanting to fit in, then why are your closest relationships with those who don't want to know God. And if it's selfishness, why is, God, why is yourself what your life revolves around? In verse, 22, excuse me, verse 23, it continues and say, says, Now the rulers of the Philistines assemble to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. So because Samson was supposed to be this great and mighty warrior, when he fell due to his sin, it brought glory to these false gods. And that's the same thing that happens to us 
as Christians. When we vow to make Jesus the Lord of our lives, and we're supposed to be these great examples and these bridges to Christ, but we fall and are demised by our Samsonite, we bring glory and praise to Satan. And Samson is then brought into this temple and he's chained between these pillars while the Philistines mock him and mock God and they're about to execute him. And we see Samson here, he's praying. He starts to pray and he relies on the strength of God and he asks God one last time for some strength. Pick up in verse 29. It says, Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson says, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. You know, it's clear, at least it's clear to me, that Samson didn't make the hall of faith Because his huge list of spiritual achievements he made during his life. Like it wasn't because his life was just so perfectly spiritual that he ended up in Hebrews 11. But you look at it, I mean, what if Samson just decided to sulk in the defeat of his sin? And just die right there with doing nothing. We would have never heard of him. And I do wonder what Samson's life would have been like had he not walked the way he did. But I don't think that's the point here. The point is Samson was willing to lean against the pillars that sin had brought him to in his life, rely on God and tear them down, regardless of what happened to him. And again, I don't know where you're at today, but some of you, I get the feeling, and this happens, where we're just in the shackles of sin, and you're hurting, and you're wondering how you got there, and if you'll ever get out. And if you learn anything from Samson at all, I hope you learn that it's not too late to lean against the pillar sin has brought you to. Connect to the power that God wants you to have and tear down the pillars that sin has brought into your life. It might hurt. It might be a little messy. But nothing else matters than the state of your heart. You know, maybe you're here today and you realize I need to start taking some of the things that tempt me in my life a little more serious. I've got to stop walking on that fine line between sin and temptation. Maybe you're sitting here today and there's things in your life that you haven't told anybody about or that you're hiding and you've got to talk to someone. It's time to knock those pillars down. Or maybe you need to study out the Bible because you feel trapped and hopeless, and don't see the way out. We need to make these decisions so that we don't allow Satan to strip us from our relationship with God. Like I said, Samson is not in the hall of faith because he's just this ultraly incredible, unimaginable spiritual dude. He's actually a clear illustration of what can happen to all of us should we walk on dangerous lines, carelessly tend to our hearts, and become blind towards the very thing that is stripping us away from God. But he's also an example of no matter how deep, how dark, or hidden our sin may be, should we be willing to rely and connect on the power of God, we can tear those pillars down.
we too will have the faith to see that that is possible. And it is not too late. And believe this, church, that when we trust God with that, when we rely on His power, God will do way more in our lives than what we tried to do without Him on our own. Amen.